You're listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. Uh, Today we're going to continue our series that we're calling Unlimited. Unlimited. Last week we looked at God's unlimited supply of grace. John 1 and 16 says, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. God has grace for me and he has grace to use through me. That's what last week was about. He has grace for me and he has grace to use through me. It doesn't matter what you're going through. I promise you there's grace for that. Amen? And today we're going to continue as we look at God's unlimited resources. God's unlimited resources. Now church, hear me out on this, okay? Our God is unlimited. That's what this series is about. Our God is unlimited. There's nothing that confines him. There's nothing that that can stop him. Our God is unlimited. One of his names is El Shaddai. El Shaddai. And it's often translated as Almighty God. Almighty God. It means all-sufficient. When you hear the words El Shaddai, it means God is all-sufficient. The God who is more than enough. How many of you are thankful today that your God is more than enough? Amen? Our God is more than enough. John 10 and 10, Jesus said these words. He says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And the Greek word that is used for abundantly there is is parasos. And and it means over and above. When Jesus said, I came that they may have life and that that life might be over and above, beyond expectations. And, And so this tells me that according to the words of Christ, the believer the believer's life can and should be blessed beyond what we can expect. Now, I, I need you to understand this is not prosperity preaching today, okay? That's not who I am. I'm, I'm not about to tell you, you know, if you do this, this, and this, then you're going to get rich through the means of God, okay? That's not what this is about. Uh, I'm not a rich man, okay? Um, and so, therefore, I, I'm, I'm not going to preach a gospel that I don't believe in. Um, I'm I'm not about prosperity gospel. However, however, I do believe that many times believers settle for less than what God is able to give them. Okay, there's three of y'all in the room that agree with me. Many times believers settle for less than what God wants to give them. For less than how God wants to bless them. Philippians 4 and 19 says... And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Every need. Not some of the needs. Every need. Now, I do believe we need to go and, and probably research what our needs are. Because a lot of times we, we have a list of wants. And that's not what he said. He said God's not going to give you every want that you have. But he, he said, and, and this is targeted towards believers, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now, the realization of this is our God is not poverty stricken. Okay? I know some people that serve God take a vow of poverty, but, but that's not what, what describes God. Our God is not poverty stricken. He is not running out of resources. God is not scraping pennies. 
Matter of fact, if you showed up to church today and, and when it was time to take up the offering, if you're like, no, nah, that's all churches want. They just want my money. That's, that's, that's all. You know. Let me tell you something about our God. He doesn't need your money. God doesn't need your money. If that's where your heart's at, God loves a cheerful giver, okay? So don't give, uh, you know, uh, because we're, 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 you know, forcing you to give. I don't, I don't think we come across that way, but, but don't give because you feel like someone's forcing you. Don't, don't give because you, you feel like if you don't, then, then you're going to have to face the gates of hell. I, I, that's not the reason to give. No, no, no. You see, our God is a God of abundance. And God has more than enough. God is not lacking in any way. And the question is, and this is the big, the big thought today, what are we willing to trust him with? What are we willing to trust God with? And the easy part for most of us in the room, and, and I do believe this, I think for most of us in the room, the easy part is to trust him with our eternity. But the reason why that's easy is because right now, your eternity is not tangible. Like you're, you're not looking at it. You're not staring at it. It's not physically right in front of you. I, I can assure you that it is a physical place and it is a, it is a place where we will live physically. But because it's not staring you in the face and you can't see it, you can't hold it, and it doesn't feel tangible to you right now, it's easy for us to give him our eternity. It's the things that are right in front of us that are hard for us to, to release and give to God. Now, Mark chapter 6, Mark chapter 6 today, I, I, I want to read from Mark chapter 6 and John chapter 6, but our text today comes from a very familiar moment in biblical history. It's commonly referred to as the feeding of the 5,000. In an extremely busy season of ministry, Jesus and his disciples find themselves tired and hungry. Recognizing their weariness, Jesus calls them away from the crowd. He, he says, come away with me to a place where we can rest. So he calls his disciples with him to a place where they can rest, away from the crowd, uh, for an opportunity for, for the ministry team of Jesus, for all of those disciples that are working with him, for them to, to find some seclusion and just some peace of mind for the moment. It, it, it was a busy season of ministry, and Jesus recognizes that they need some rest. And so they get in a boat, and they set sail on the Sea of Galilee. Mark chapter 6, verses 31 through 44. It says, and he, Jesus, and he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Now let me pause there just for a moment. Having been to the Sea of Galilee before, I... I can see this and picture this in my mind because you see on, on a clear day, you can see all the way across the Sea of Galilee. It's, 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 it's big enough, but it's not massive. And you've got all these seaside towns around Capernaum, Tiberias. You've got all these seaside towns that are, are around the lake. And I picture them when they got into this boat, they probably stay close to shores, they just traveled the shoreline, and people are recognizing that this is Jesus and his disciples. And so they just start following along the shore, 
to wherever the boat is going. So they're trying to get away from the crowd, but people are recognizing them. And so verse 33 again says, Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. And let me show you what happened there. And, and this is part of ministry. And I think this is something that we all have to develop in our hearts. There's just moments when you might be tired, but yet the calling is greater than, than the, the, the exhaustion. Or at least it needs to be. And if you know me, you know I'm the Sabbath preacher. I preach the, the topic of Sabbath more than any other topic I've ever preached. I believe in rest. I've, I think there's designated times, weekly designated times, that we need to observe of rest. And so I, I don't want anyone to misconstrue what I'm saying. I do believe that we need to honor that, respect it, and, 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 and cherish it. However, however, in this moment, Jesus looks at these people, even though he is tired, he is exhausted, they are hungry, he looks at these people, and as he views them, he sees them as sheep without a shepherd, and he has compassion for them. And so the Bible says he began to teach them many things. Verse 35, and when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. And he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish, and those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. The church, as we read this exchange between Jesus and his disciples, it is important for us to understand their dilemma. The disciples apparently have a genuine care and concern for the well-being of the multitude of people that have gathered there. They are concerned for the physical needs of this crowd. And we're not sure how many people total were there. We do know that there were 5,000 men. And when you start adding their spouses and their children to the lump sum, this could easily be upwards of 10,000 to 15,000. I'm not sure if that even matters, how many people were actually there. Because it doesn't matter if you need to feed five are 5,000 people, when you're out of food, you're out of food. Anyone relate? I mean, it doesn't matter what size your family is. If you're out of food, you're out of food, right? When you go to the pantry and there's no more Little Debbie snack, cake, snack cakes in there, it's gone, right? And, and you're not getting any more until the next payday. And, and, and so when you're out of food, you're out of food. This same situation is also found in the book of John. In the book of John... And as John often does, he gives us a few more details, a little bit more insight as to how this all played out with certain individuals. So John chapter 6, we're going to start reading at verse 5. John 6 and verse 5. 
Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip. Now see, John's calling people out by name. Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. As is the tendency, once you get different people's perspectives of the same situation, you can start to piece together the information to see what really happened at that event. What really happened at that scene. Now, what we have to understand is that Mark, our first text today, Mark was most likely a teenager, probably became a follower of Christ from a distance, and and was a teenager at the time that Jesus traveled in and out of Jerusalem. No doubt, he probably had witnessed some of these accounts firsthand. It's, It's also believed that Mark was a type of scribe, a secretary type for Peter, and Peter we know, had firsthand experience serving with Jesus at all of the events. I'm not sure if there was a disciple, a follower of Christ, that was any closer to Christ than Peter was. And so Mark most likely received most of his information from Peter. John, like Peter, was a disciple of Jesus and would have been there to see it all firsthand. He watched it play out right before his very eyes. Now, 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 1, it, it is, it's quoting the law of, of, of Exodus, out of Exodus. But it says that the facts of every case must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So what we do is we take these two accounts, we put them together, and, and we get to see what really happened on that day. So I'm not taking any, any creative liberties here. I'm just simply telling you that there are, are, are two accounts here. We merge them together to get two different perspectives and we see what happened. Now, Mark chapter 6, going back to Mark chapter 6 and verse 38, it says, And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said five and two fish. Now, hear the words of Jesus. How many loaves do you have? Go and see. Jesus did not say, here it is, don't miss it. Jesus didn't say, go and see if there are any loaves. That's not what he said. He didn't say, go and see if, if there's some bread. He knew that somebody had something that he could work with. He knew that there was somebody in that crowd that had some bread. And so he said, you go and see how much we have. Not if we have any, go find out how much we have. Church, this is the beauty of the provision of God. He has given us all something to work with. He has given us all something that he can bless. And you might not think that you have anything that God can use. You might look at your own circumstances and your own lack and come to the false realization that you don't have enough. But I'm here to tell you, church, you have enough. 
You've got enough. You've got enough in your life right now for God to use and for God to bless. You might have walked in here feeling like you're less than. You might have walked in here feeling like you're not blessed. But I'm letting you know. I'm putting you on notice right now. God has given you more than enough for him to bless. Romans 12 and 3 tells us that God has given each of us a measure of faith. Every person in this room has been given a measure of faith. Everyone watching online right now, you've been given a measure of faith. We've all been given a measure of faith. And and now I I recognize that it appears that some people have more faith than others. I do. I I see that. I've seen it in my own home at times. Why is it that some people are optimistic as it relates to believing that God can and will do it, yet others are pessimistic in their lack of faith. Why why is it? Why does that happen? You see, it doesn't matter if, if you have great faith or little faith, you've been given a measure of faith. Right now, you've got a little bit. You may not feel like it, but you've got a little bit of faith. There's a little bit of faith at work within you. I know this because you showed up for church today. There's a little bit of, you're hoping and you're praying God's gonna do something. But what's crazy is, you don't need much faith. If you're that person that is operating on, 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 on just a little bit of, you don't need much. All you need is a little bit of faith. All you need is just a small amount. Jesus said, Matthew 17 and 20, he said, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. He said just a little bit of faith, the size of the grain of a mustard seed. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but a mustard seed is just a, a small little speck. I've got some in my office, just a small little dot is all it is. And he said, if you just have a little bit, if you just use, if you'll just activate that little bit of faith that God has given you, that he's measured out to you, he said, you can move mountains with just a little bit of faith. I guess my favorite part of this, this whole encounter, on the, on the side of the Sea of Galilee there, on the, on the seashore, of, my, my, my favorite part of, of this whole story is the involvement of a little boy in John chapter 6 that is not even mentioned by name. He's not even mentioned. Matter of fact, they wouldn't even include him in the count. 5,000 men, not including women and children. What seems so insignificant to everybody else, God's going to make him the star of the story here. And, and, And out of all of the adults that were there that day, No one, not even one, thought about packing a lunch. Nobody thought about it. Nobody considered packing a lunch. What's wrong with these people? Now listen, listen, listen. I expect this out of 5,000 men. I, I completely get it. I do, I do. As I told the men at Man Up yesterday... We tend to live in the moment, not thinking about the consequences of the future. When those men left the house that morning, they were not even thinking about lunch. No, that's what drive-thrus are for, right? We don't pack lunches. We don't think about it. But come on, women. Where are you at in the story? Are you telling me that not one woman there that day thought about bringing at least a roast beef sandwich? Because they can't eat ham. They're Jewish. Not even one thought about packing a lunch. I find solace that this, maybe this little boy's mama. 
it, it does my heart good to, to imagine. Now, this is where my creative liberties come in. It does my heart good to imagine that this little boy's mama packed him a, a long John Silver's value meal, five hush puppies and two planks of fish. I'm just praying that it had some of those good little crumbs that are in the bottom of it. And I haven't had long John Silver's in years, but I know where we might be going for lunch today, Mandy, because I've been, I've been thinking, I don't even want the fish. I don't even want and nothing. Just give me a bowl full of those crumbs. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Anybody ever had them? All right, you know. That marriage supper of the lamb, those crumbs are going to be on the table. I believe it. We're going to. But think about this. Think about the lack of drama as it relates to this little boy's part of the story. My, my grandson, he's reached that age now to where he doesn't like for things to be taken away from him. I'm starting to see a little bit of attitude. When you take something away from him. Now, he recovers quickly, but, but still, that lip goes out. He starts to cry. I'm like, ooh, we better get control of this quick. But, but there's no drama with this little boy, which is amazing all in itself. There is no mention of, a, of an argument. There's no pushback. There's no fight. When, when Andrew asked him for his food, it appears that he handed it over with no questions asked. At least they didn't include that in the story, okay? That's not the deep, neither one of these, these witnesses, these accounts show us, tell us that this little boy put up a fight at all. Church, this is the test of the believer's faith. What do we have that God wants us to trust him with? What do we have that God wants us to trust him? Abraham had to trust God with his son Isaac. He had to be willing to lay him on the altar of sacrifice. He had to trust him with his son. We, we know that Moses had to trust God with his staff. He was a shepherd. He, he, he was a, a long-term shepherd. And when he encountered that burning bush, God said, What's that in your hand? He said, I want you to throw down what's in your hand. And when he did, it became the serpent. And he said, now pick it back up again. And it became the staff. And from that moment on, it's called the staff of God. Never referred back, again, uh, referred back to again as the staff of Moses. It always is called the staff of God from there on out. He had to trust him with what he had. The widow at Zarephath had to trust God with a, a handful of flour and a small amount of oil. David had to trust God with his sling. He knew how to use a sling, but he had to trust God with that. When he said, this battle is not mine, it belongs to the Lord. And, and a, a little boy on a Galilean hillside trusted God with his sack lunch that day as he allowed it to be put into the hands of Jesus because he knew Jesus could do something with it. What do you have that you're withholding from God? Because God can't bless what you refuse to give him. Amen. He is unlimited, unlim unlimited resources. There is nothing our God cannot do, nothing our God cannot get his hands on, nothing our God cannot supply, okay? What is it that you are refusing to give him? Because God does not have limited resources. What happens is we have limited faith, it's not that God is not wanting to bless us. It's that we're not wanting to give it to God. And if only we could see what God wants to do with what we have, 
You've got enough right now for God to bless. You don't have enough to pay the bills. You don't have enough to put food on the table. You don't have enough to put gas in the gas tank. But I'm telling you, you've got enough for God to bless, and that's all you need. Because that's all he wants. What will you put in the hands of God? And if we could only see what God can do with what we have. On Wednesday nights, I've been teaching on heaven. And if you know anything about heaven, you know as he builds our eternal home, God uses the most expensive of materials and the most precious of stones. He's not holding back for our eternity. He's going all out with it. Simply put, heaven is a five-star elite experience. You want to be there, you want to experience it. Whatever we trust God with here on earth comes into agreement with heaven. Whatever we are willing to say, God, I'll give this to you. Whatever we are willing to part with, whatever we are willing to say, God, I'm giving this to you here on earth, it comes into agreement in heaven. Jesus said in Matthew 6 and 10, he said, when you pray, he said, I want you to pray like this. Pray, pray Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus said when you pray, you should be praying that the kingdom of God would come on earth as it is in heaven. You see, God longs to make earth look like heaven just to give us a little taste of eternity, to give the world a taste of eternity. But what skews that image is our lack of faith and the only one that has the ability to bring heaven to earth. The only one. Okay, can we get real? And then I'm going to close this thing out. Tim, get ready, because I'm going, to, I'm going to say all this, and then I'm going to run for the door. This is true. This is true. You can't withhold your finances. Here we go. Here we go. You can't withhold your finances from God and expect him to multiply them. You don't want me to. You don't want, because I'm tired of watching God's people struggle. I've been tithing since I was 14 years old. I don't care if you think it's an Old Testament principle, a New Testament principle, whatever. I don't care. I don't care. All I know is it's worked in my life since I was 14 years old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor a seed begging for bread. I've never gone lacking. Am I rich? By no means. I am not rich. I am not. I am not. I'm telling you. Are there moments that I've had to live paycheck to paycheck? Absolutely, 100%. Did I just marry off my daughter and pay for a wedding? I did, I did. And, and, and the pockets are empty right now, okay? It is. However, however, there's food on my table, there's a roof over my head, and I've never gone without. My entire adult life, I've never gone without. And let me tell you this, I was raised in a home where my mom and dad believed in tithing, and I never went without as a child. I'm telling you, it works, and the proof is in my life. I have seen it firsthand. I know, and I will never. It, and let, let me tell you this. I don't wait. I don't wait until all the bills are paid to see if I have enough to pay tithe. Tithe is 10%. God said, God said you, you, you bless me with what belongs to me. I'm claiming the first 10%. He said, when you bless me with that, I'll bless the lump sum. And a blessed 90% goes a whole lot farther than a cursed 90%, okay? Listen, listen, I'm telling you. God has proven it to me time and time and time again. And you can't withhold your finances from God and expect him to multiply them. 
You can't withhold your career path from God and expect him to bless it. God says, give me, give me your future. Give me your hopes. Give me your dreams. Give me those things that you're longing for in your career. And don't put anything else as a priority over me. You see, some of you, some of you, hear me, hear me. Some of you, you're so focused on your career that, that you don't even know what Shabbat, what Sabbath looks like. You don't know how to rest in God and trust that God is going to do more in your downtime than you can working five, six, seven days a week. You put your hand to the plow every day and, and, and you're expecting to get blessings from God. No, 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 no. You work. You need to work. You know, it's, it's, it's responsible. It's what we're supposed to do. But then at the appropriate times, you go home to your family. You be with your wife. You be with your kids. You be with your husband. You, you make sure that you're prioritizing things the right way and watch what God does. God will. And just because some of you right now might be in, in, in a transition in your career, hand it all over to God. Because I promise you, He is directing your steps. The, the steps the steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord. He's got you. I don't want you to worry. I want you to put your faith there and know God is leading you and guiding you into exactly where He wants you to be. Amen? You can't withhold your family from God and expect Him to multiply their faith. You can't. Parents, you need to listen. How do we withhold our families from God? Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. This has to be a priority. This has to be a priority. Not just for your children, but for you. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How else are you going to grow in your faith if you're not hearing the word of God? So you have to understand, if you are withholding your family from, from church, if you're withholding your family from Bible study, if you're withholding your family, don't expect God to multiply the faith of your family. Because whatever you give to God, whatever you trust Him with, He will bless and He will multiply. Before we close, we got to look at how this encounter ends, okay? Because it's interesting. Jesus multiplies that boy's five loaves and two fish, and he feeds thousands of people. John 6 and 12 says, And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. In other words, after their immediate need was met, there were leftovers. Leftovers. Because God uses what we give him to bless others in the moment, but his blessings for those that give are residual. There's leftovers. Listen, I, let, me, let me just say it like this. And this really is not a giving message. It is, but it's not. I didn't intend for it to be that, like that. But I, w- I want you to hear me because maybe somebody needs to grow in their faith in this moment. I'm not living today off of what I paid in tithe and offerings today. I invested in my tomorrow today. Because when you plant the seed, there's always, there's always going to be time before the harvest. You plant, you water, you nurture, and then you reap. 
And church, I just know from my own life how God has blessed. His blessings for those that give are residual. They, they, they keep coming. There's, it's leftovers. I've heard some preachers say that there were 12 leftover baskets so that each one of the disciples could take some food home. The numbers work out. 12 leftover baskets of food, 12 disciples. But what about the little boy? He's the one that gave up his sack lunch, right? I mean, he's really the one that sacrificed in this whole thing. With creative liberty, I picture that little boy returning home with 12 basketfuls of fish and bread, walking up to his mama and say, you making me lunch again tomorrow? Luke 6 and 38, Jesus said this. This is why I can put my confidence that that most likely happened. Jesus said, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. See, as much as your finances, as much as your career, as much as your family, as much as whatever it is that you have right now that you're willing to put trust in God with is the amount. It will determine the amount of multiplication that comes back on your life. For the majority of our seven years living in Tampa, Mandy and I were renters. When we first moved there, we lived in post-village apartments and Eventually, we, we rented a house, and, and we wanted to buy. We wanted to buy. We really thought we were settling down there for a while, and we wanted to buy. And the market was just crazy. As quick as someone would put an offer in on a house, they already had 20 offers on the house. And, and we were getting a little discouraged with it. And we, we, just, we just couldn't get an offer in fast enough or didn't have enough money to, to make a, a serious offer. And when the time finally came... For us to, to buy a house, we had an accepted offer. I remember we had to come up, Mandy, if I remember correctly, I think it was $1,500 that we needed to come up with out of pocket. And it doesn't seem like much, okay? And until you don't have $1,500, right? And we didn't have it. During that same time, there was a young kid in our youth group, maybe 14, 15 years old, maybe. His name was Israel. And Israel was learning to play the bass guitar. And he came from a family, there, there was a bunch of brothers. They were all brothers, no sisters. And his older brother came to me and he said, listen, each one of us are going to, to chip in to buy him a bass guitar. I think it was a, maybe around Christmas, some, I don't know exactly, but they were going to buy him a, a bass guitar. They didn't ask me for any money, nothing like that. He was just telling me, we're, we're going to get him a, a, a nice bass because we think he's pretty serious about this. And um, I went home and I told Mandy, what I, was, what I was feeling. And I was feeling like God wanted us to invest in this young man. I mean, he was in my youth group. I'm a musician. I felt like, man, you know, this, this is something that we need to do. This could shape his future, right? And so I told Mandy, I think that we need to, to you know, donate. We need to give $150 towards this, this kid's bass guitar. Just a few days later, there was a businessman in our church that called me to his office. This was not uncommon. He was a friend. He had two kids in our youth ministry. And, and we had developed a friendship. We would go out to dinner. He and I, we, we both love going to the movies. And so we go to the movies and hang out and go to dinner, that kind of stuff. But he called me to his office that day. And I sat down across from his desk. And during our conversation, he told me, he said, he said, Pastor Rocky, I, 
uh, we missed Sunday. He said, we, we were out of town on a business trip. We missed Sunday. And he said, I, I didn't get to pay my tithe. And he said, do you mind taking our tithe check? He said, we're going to be gone this weekend too. And I just don't want to, to, to not get it in. He said, do you mind taking it? And I said, no, it's fine. He called his wife into the office. She worked in, it was a family owned business there. And she worked in the next office over and he called her in and I'll, I'll never forget. They laid their hands on that tithe check and they both prayed. And that was impressive to me. I thought, man, they're coming into agreement on their finances right now. No wonder they're blessed. And so they finished praying and he, she, she left and he, he put it in an envelope, handed it to me and I, I stuck it in my pocket. And He said, there's another reason why I called you here. He said, I feel like God has moved upon my heart to give you and your wife a gift, no strings attached. I just want to give you something. His name was Ron. I said, well, Ron, that's kind. That man got his checkbook out again, and he began to write. He signed that check, tore it out, slid it across the desk, and he kept his hand on it. And he said, now, you put your hand on it. And he and I prayed. I, I'll be honest. I let him pray. I was peeking to see what the numbers were. <laughs> Church, you can't make this stuff up. $1,500. Exactly what we needed. Remember what I told you? It doesn't matter if you're feeding five or 5,000. When you don't have it, you don't have it. It didn't matter if it was $1,500 or $15,000 that we needed. When you don't have it, you don't have it. But I, I know our Father that does. And whatever you put into his hands, he will multiply. And by the way, that young man that we bought the bass guitar for is now a musical director for one of the largest multi-campus churches in Tampa. I think it was a good investment. So the question is this, what do you have that you need to give to God? What, what, are, what are you hoarding? We all have it. I'm telling you, I have. I have things that I'm hoarding that I, I, I just haven't given to God. What is it that you need to give to God? Thanks for listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. To learn more about DCC, including our service times and location, visit us at destinycommunitychurch.org.